Hello and welcome to another episode of Future Chat. I'm back once again with my valiant co-host, Mike Cottrell, and our beloved senior contributor, Nick Maddox. We have several great stories for you today, but first, Mike, I want you to follow up with some, (laughs) know what I did there, some great stories, but first, you want to follow up on some financial uh, mobile stuff that's been going on? Stuff we've been, that's been hinted at and now uh, slightly more detail about. I do. It was quite timely that this came mm. out shortly after our episode released. The APK, APK teardown of the CIBC app, I think it was. Yeah. Um, showed that the Android Pay is coming to Canada. Like there was code in there. Actually, maybe it wasn't the CIBC app. I think it was something else. I don't recall off the top of my head, but an APK teardown uh, showed uh, some code in there indicating Canadian currency uh, handling. Hmm. So prior to that, there was no ability for Canadian currency to be handled within the Android Pay system. So this shows that there is an intention for it to be released in Canada. And given that it's in the APK, it appears to possibly be sooner than later. So that's... That's hopeful. That's good news. And uh, yeah, as we said last week, it's it's always good to see these these companies and apps looking to move forward with uh, with integrating Android Pay into their their systems a bit more. Yeah. Interestingly, the last sentence here says it talks about mobile syrup reaching out for comment and Google saying we're excited to bring Android Pay to Canadians. However, it's currently not available in Canada, <laughs> which <laughs> I I don't need know how much more of a signal Thanks, you tips. can give. Yeah. So it was is the actual Android Pay app yeah. that the teardown was. It wasn't a bank's app. So it was the actual official Android Pay app had uh, code in there for handling Canadian currency. Hmm. I'm I'm formally excited because I've been waiting for forever to do that. And hopefully yep. it comes with some kind of... I've been hearing kind of rumblings that um, Apple specifically is looking to release not only like peer-to-peer payments like we've been talking about for the last several episodes, but also... Uh, kind of a virtual credit card type of situation, like a prepaid credit card that would work through Apple Pay. And it seems like it would be interesting if Android did the same thing where they had, like peer-to-peer obviously may be a thing that comes to Canadians soon if if the US already has it through Android Pay. I, I, I can't keep track because I don't have it, but it would be interesting if they if Android Pay had some kind of virtual wallet as well that let you like a specific android wallet that let you pay with an android credit card or android prepaid card i'd be well it'd it'd probably just take it off your google play balance that'd be in theory although you might not necessarily want that because like i know for for me coming from apple i wouldn't want that specific system because if i get gift cards right now um normally what i want to do is like put them towards apple purchases but because that's like if i add a gift card i add it to my itunes account but then if some if I have some renewing subscription that is tied to that wallet, it's gonna take that money out first. And in theory it's all it's all the same. But like if you get a gift It is all the same. You, I understand that money is all the same, but if you get a gift, like an iTunes gift card as a present from someone and you go to add it to your wallet and then you don't use it for the first month, suddenly Apple Music resubscribes, like takes out a subscription and it takes out a chunk of that money and you're like, Well, I wanted to use that for an app. And I realize it makes no objective difference, but like I, the reason I have several iTunes cards sitting on my desk is that I don't want, I want to use them for an app that's special when I, like I see an app, I want to go buy it, but I can't say like, don't use that money for my recurring subscriptions. 
And that sounds like your problem, Rob. <laughs> May I suggest <laughs> Mario Run? I, I bought that. That was one of the I I had. I actually, oh, did you? I told Julia to get me a small denominations of cards. Like that was the best possible way because then I can just put one $10 card on, use that, and then still have remaining $10 amounts for apps in the future. Do you want to add me as a friend? on mario run because i don't have any mario run friends i don't have any mario run friends either you we you can add me as a friend but i feel like that that requires a like a 16 digit nintendo code or something we can ha- I, i'm happy to look into it but uh i'm i'm looking into it as okay we i'll let you keep doing that any so any any kind of rumblings in these articles mike about the possibility of this announcement happening because Google I.O. is coming up very, very soon, right? It's like a week or two. Uh, is it? I, I don't keep track of when they're supposed come to Come on, be. Mike. A couple of years ago, we were talking about going. But before we move on, before we move on, <laughs> I want to come back to your, your thing about gift yeah. cards. So I, 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 I hear what you're saying. Mm. I totally get it. But I think you might have better success just kind of like either mentally or even physically writing yourself an IOU right. to yourself. Yeah. And just put the card, put the gift cards in there, and like like you said, the money's going to get taken out either way, whether the cards are in there or not. And you've gotten that extra money, so like, just conceptually, you've already have the ability to spend the money on whatever you want, given that it was a yes. gift, right? So just have like a list saying, "This is how much I am letting myself spend," because that's ultimately what it's coming down to. Right. Like, you don't even need gift cards to buy stuff if you don't want to. But in your approach to purchasing apps, right. you choose to use them when you get gift cards, which is fine. But if the idea is to try to prevent adding them to your account so that they don't get taken off in your recurring payments, just do that, like, mental IOU thing. So that next time you do, it's like, oh, yeah, I was given that gift card. However, back, I'll just let myself buy it. I, I understand what you're saying, but I hope that you also understand the the difference between buying an app with money that comes straight off your credit card versus buying an app because someone gave you a gift card and how the, the it's like it's psychology really more than anything else. Like That's what I'm saying. No, and I get that yeah. part. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the only reason that it's difficult for me because I don't I can't justify unless I'm really, really going to use this app. I can't justify spending something like five or ten dollars on it just like mm-hmm. the nature of the app store and that like you can't really you can um get a refund for apps if you really kind of make a stink about it but it's not like i don't want to do that but you can't try things out you kind of have to just buy them and hope for the mm-hmm. best or request a refund it's like it's like um with amazon if you buy something from amazon you can easily exchange it you can take it back no questions asked but if you buy something from ebay from an actual person selling it there's like it's a lot of manual work that comes up if you try to if you want to do a return and so i would rather if i'm going to do that i would rather know that like okay i'm buying this app whether it ends up being like super super useful to me or not or like if it's a game or if it's like poke coins i know that like this was a gift so i don't feel bad spending it on something that i may not necessarily like blow the world the roof off the world but if I'm sending my own cash, I'm going to be a lot more thoughtful about what I spend money on and probably won't spend right. money on it. I regret signing up for the free Audible trial because <laughs> it, it turned into two months of paid Audible. <laughs> they know that. When I, did, when I didn't intend to because yeah. it like lapsed the first time and I was like, what? It doesn't auto cancel? What the heck? Yeah. That's a, and I'm sure that that's happens, a great like, plug for our sponsor there, Mike. <laughs> every, every company that has those like free month trials yeah probably rely pretty heavily on those types of revenue yep. with people. Netflix for sure does that. Right. So then 
I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So then I like, I what did I do? Oh no, because then I was I was gonna cancel my Audible subscription. Yeah. But it's like, oh, but you have credits, so if you cancel, you lose your credits. Yep. And I was like, oh, well, I don't want to do that. So I let it sit for another month, and then it lapsed again. I was like, damn it! <laughs> so then finally, I spent the credits I had, right? Because after I renewed the second month, after the first free month, it gave me more credits, yep. which yep. I hadn't spent yet. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll spend those credits and then cancel. But I never got around to spending them until the second month, yep. second paid month lapsed. The kid's like, okay, now I actually have to spend these credits. So then that's when I bought, like, I don't know, the Jobs book uh, and a couple other ones. Right. And then I canceled my subscription. So now I have, like, two or three books that I haven't listened to. Yeah. So I have so many books that I actually, I want to read and I'm just not getting around to it. And with my new job... Um, like we're allowed to have one earbud in whenever we're working, which is actually pretty great. It works really well. Um, and then I was listening to, I think I was listening to the pessimists archive, I think, which was recently plugged by no such thing as a fish. And now everyone likes it. Yeah. Except there's only five episodes. (laughs) Um, but I think they were talking about like automation, stealing jobs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics was that. They, this might have been a different fact. Anyway, they used to have people, when people worked in the factories, everyone would chip in and they would hire someone to read the paper or like read a book or read poetry or something to them while they worked. Huh. It's like someone would just stand in a really high chair and read loudly to people while they worked, which, <laughs> you know, bizarre. seems like pretty great. Um, but then the radio took that job because right. automation, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway... I was sitting there thinking, man, I would love for someone to just like read to me while I'm doing this, <laughs> while I'm doing this job. Cause I have like roughly seven hours a day where I'm playing audio and I'm, I, I only have so many podcasts to listen to. Right. And so it took me a good while to be like, oh, maybe, maybe audiobooks would be better than <laughs> someone physically sitting there reading to me. Maybe. Maybe I should sign up for the free trial. If only there was some audio version of a book. <laughs> if only someone could have been recorded reading a book to me previously. <laughs> Even uh, better is if the author was the one reading to me. That would be... Well, that's that ideal. Awesome. You want the author to read it to you, right? Yep. Yeah. Shame. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the reason I never... like. First of all, there's not enough time in the world for all the things I want to do. And so like, while I would love to read a book a month or have a book a month read to me, there's just too many other things that I'm already not either watching or listening to or whatever. Yeah. Or in my, yeah, in my case also, there's like bike rides I'm not going for and right. post, blog posts yeah. I'm not writing. Well, I mean, bike, you could listen to a podcast or audiobook or whatever while biking. I refuse to do that. Out of safety concerns? Yes. Okay. I'm an advocate of vehicular cycling. So. And so, because that's the current trend and yeah, you need to, you need to be able to hear things. Why don't you get like a Bluetooth speaker for your bike? Because it's already decked out with so much (laughs) superfluous crap and I plan on mounting more crap to it. Including a Bluetooth speaker. No, um, I've actually seen backpacks. I think yeah, with speakers built into them. I've seen that. Yeah, but then you're, in my opinion, you're annoying everyone around you. But anyway, 
I actually, now that I have a big boy job, I could finally get that light set I've been wanting. <laughs> what if they had in like a set of speakers, but instead of like blaring it to everyone, you just like put them right next to your ear and then it would just like, play music just for you. <laughs> now that, that would be the hypothetical dream, Rob. <laughs> so I, I've kind of wanted to discuss this, uh, this biking while listening to something thing. And I've been doing it for as long as I've had Bluetooth headphones. Like when you have just actual headphones, it's insanely kind of distracting and there's cords and everything. Um, but with Bluetooth headphones, I've found that I can still hear as much as I would. Like any anything dangerous, I can still hear. I've never had any issue with not being able to hear anything. Do you have both ears in or just one ear both. in? Both. Yeah. Rob, Rob, like it's Rob, not like Rob, you're Rob. using. It's not like you're using Bose sound-canceling headphones. Right. I'm not. Yeah, they're not noise-canceling at all. I can hear... It's just such a weird argument because I'm not going to like the only thing that I would theoretically hear that would help me is like someone yelling that I dropped something on the road or someone like, would, am I going to hear if a car speeds up behind me in order to ram me? Like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be hearing that I'm not <laughs> supposed to be aware of your surroundings, Rob, I'm hyper aware of my especially, especially when you're in a position where you could die much more easily than like the people around you. I just don't understand what I'm going to be hearing. Like, am I hearing tires squealing that are, that I'm supposed to avoid? Like, what am I avoiding that I'm not avoiding visually? You're hearing a darling child giggling as they're about to jump out in front of you. <laughs> but I, you want to also, be responsible for killing that child, Rob? Do you? I don't think that would happen. Do you? I don't think it's a yes or no question, Rob. He no headphones would not prevent that crash. And how loud is your music, Nick, if you can't can't hear other stuff? Or maybe how good are your Well, headphones? I don't know because I've never tried. Right. It's glorious. Wait, so you're, you're, you're an advocate against this without even trying it for yourself? I'm, a, I'm an advocate of vehicular cycling. Okay, can we define that? Because vehicles listen to the radio all the time. Yeah, and they're, and way, they're way more, more sound isolated yeah. than bikes. <laughs> yeah. They're even sold on the premise of being soundproof. Yeah. No, we can't discuss that. <laughs> okay. I, I'm fine okay. with my choices. Okay. Anyway, Rob, I'll, I'll acknowledge your previous attempt at segueing into the next part of follow-up here. But your name's next to it, so I, I think you're probably better well, off describing so it. So I was listening to our episode last week. I just happened to be listening as I was reading through the news. And uh, there was a link posted that, again, this is it's similar to this IPK, APK teardown that, that they did. Um, so the Android Pay app, I guess it is, or Android Pay associated apps are showing up on devices in Canada, but just don't work, which is kind of what they were talking about in the other article. And uh, I predicted this in the last episode that it was probably coming to, like Android Pay was probably coming, expanding or expanding its functionality, starting at Google I.O. And it seems like they're laying a lot of the groundwork app-wise for that to happen. And so we talked a bit about Samsung Pay and Android Pay and how that would work, how Samsung devices would handle that, whether they would get both or whether they would only, like, if they had Samsung Pay, they wouldn't get Android Pay or vice versa. Um, but I think that you can have multiple paying systems. Like, on, I, on iOS, you'd have to have Apple allow mobile payments. Like, they allow certain things. Like, I think they allow ride-sharing apps to use Siri, for instance. But um, if you want to use, you can use Touch ID for authentication, but I don't think you can send... Uh, actually, maybe you can. Now that I think about it, there there are certain things that will allow you to authorize um, bank transactions with Apple Pay, and like using. But I don't think it's using NFC necessarily, and that's that that would be the real the real kind of important thing. But until 
Apple opens up iOS to kind of third-party hooks into those systems um, for NFC, then it's not going to be a thing. Whereas with with Android Pay, it's it's a little more open. Android devices are more open, and so you could theoretically hook something like this up without Android having to explicitly allow it. Like like we've been talking about the TD app on Android and how they've had NFC payments for a while, even though they don't necessarily work all the time. Um, it's been a thing for like over a year. Yeah. It's just not as clean yeah. as the Apple and, and Android pay. Right. Like there's a lot more steps where at that rate, you're better off just using your card. Mm, I, I was more concerned about the fact that it didn't work sometimes because for me, like you can set a pin, you can set like a five digit pin and just mm-hmm. have a, a home screen shortcut for TD. And it's like, it opens straight to the pin screen, enter your five digit pin and then, tap it but that's what i'm saying at that rate even when it does work you may as well just use your card well if 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 i'm wearing my watch and i can just hold my watch up and pay then that's perfect but as soon as there's more steps on that then i may as well have already pulled my card out while i'm standing in line waiting to pay and just tap my card right except for the security aspect like no the security is the same no but tapping to pay versus authenticating and then tapping to pay it's physical authentication, Rob. What do you mean? What? Like, I'm there with the card. No, but anyone can be there with the card and tap it and pay, whereas not anyone can be there and tap your watch or your phone to pay because they have to have either they have to either authenticate on the spot or have already authenticated that they're you. Right, right. But, it, like, the other aspect, and this is why I don't have tap and pay to my debit card, is credit cards will very readily stand behind fraud and theft Mm -hmm. reimbursement whereas with debit i think they're a little bit more uh well i think their hands are a little more tied because you can kind of like it's it's quote-unquote real money so to speak um and like i've told you guys before like we we had an issue with our our debit account before where it got skimmed and started having money taken out and pc called us right away and asked are you in the philippines i'm like nope we're not (laughs) so uh, right. That got kibosh right away, but at that point, money had already been taken out, but they reimbursed us right. because again, they have insurance against that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I just I'm not as comfortable having a debit card have tap and pay enabled right. versus uh, the credit card. I had a weird thing happen at a gas station a couple of weeks ago. Well, it didn't happen at the gas station. I paid with Apple Pay, like tapping to pay at the gas station at the pump, and the next morning ish, I got a call from Tangerine saying. We we had some reports. I, th- I guess it was that that pump had been compromised, like that it had a skimmer installed in it or something. So they were checking through all the transactions at that gas station, and which sounds horribly tedious, calling everyone that used a credit card at that gas station. But um, I was just I answered the the call and I was like, oh no, uh, I like that was me. I paid there and I have paid at this gas station before, so it like it shouldn't have tripped anything for that reason, but. And then I, so I, I just said like, oh no, I used Apple Pay. It's like I paid with my fingerprint. I didn't enter any card. I didn't, like nothing could have been compromised. And I kind of tried to- Like nothing, there's nothing to skip. Right. And so I kind of, right. I was, I tried to ask, but I didn't want to explicitly be like, you can't do that, right? Like if I'm using this, like it's tokenization. So if it, if, if it approved on one thing, it can't approve. That same token can't be used on a, in a second transaction. So it's like, there are ways, it's not like 100% security proof, but in that particular scenario- it, you wouldn't be able to steal any money from that card because the token's already been used. And yeah. she didn't, She, I think she probably just couldn't really give me a clear answer or like, because she's obviously just working in a call center. She's not like a security expert. 
Mm-hmm. And but it did get me thinking about the how weird like we take the security of credit cards and stuff totally for granted again because the bank stands behind the transactions like we we just wantonly throw our cards around just tapping to pay wherever but it like if you want to actually be secure about it having a smartphone app or a smartphone that has either like NFC with authentication or whatever is a lot more secure than just tapping a card on a terminal in theory like phones and digital data in general have their own vulnerabilities and but ideally it's less susceptible to being breached than like a physical compromise of actually losing it's a very different kind of breach right it's it's less targeted yeah like and i'd I'd say less likely like you're more likely to lose a card than to be able to a lose your phone in the first place or lose the phone and have it be able to be compromised Mm -hmm. and you're people like fraudsters scammers thieves whatever you want to call them they will always target the least secure system because it's the most it's the easiest to exploit over and over and over Mm -hmm. again and so installing a card skimmer is going to get you so much more credit card information and the ability to steal more money than breaking the security unless you're unless you're like wholesale breaking the security of a system that uses digital encryption of some kind uh a digital only system uses encryption you're much it's much more easy to just install a skimmer and get a bunch of cards. And that's, that's what they are doing right right now. I know that one of the recommendations from security experts was whenever you go up to a terminal um, and you're, yeah. And you're going to do like the swipe, just give it a pull, like a good tug. And like basically a tug of any strength shouldn't even move the front part. But I think the skimmers are fairly easy, able to pull off once you just, like they're not going to slide off, but once you pull on it, it will like, oh, mm-hmm. that was not supposed to be right. there. Yeah. So, uh, I yeah, the Google I/O is at the end of this month, so we'll we'll find out whether we can expect Android Pay to come to Canada, but hopefully it does. Yeah. And Samsung Pay too. Yeah. Because I I did, I'm assuming Android Pay is only going to work with Android Wear, like from a wearable space. Right. Yeah, I would agree. So, yeah, I'd like to see both. Yeah. So we've been talking about fraud and money involved nick do you want to tell us uh what happened this week and why we should all be running screaming into i guess villages um full of luddites that don't use technology well i would recommend the mountains actually okay because i feel like that's where they can find you the least well but no uh europe got hit with well europe and a bunch of other countries yeah. you know europe the country europe and all those other countries <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's it's Other the countries EU like now. It's countries like Africa yeah. and North America. Yeah, like and including Asia. Mm. Like that's yeah. that's a country. Can't that forget about that country. Yeah. May well have gotten hit. <laughs> um, no, more than a hundred thousand organizations in at least a hundred and fifty countries were targeted by a global ransomware attack on Friday. Which, oh, yeah, that's a lot. I think one of the ones was uh, like the British Health Organization too, yeah. the National Health Service. That was one of the biggest ones. Oh. Yeah, and I want to point out to our listeners that Mike hadn't heard about this mm. story. And for the amount of niche, crazy tech stories that Mike comes up with, I'm shocked <laughs> that this didn't even like come across your desk. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm sure I saw a tweet or two about ransomware and I just can pass it. I'm like... ransomware that's not a cell phone why would i want to know about that wait are they holding cell phones at 
with the ransomware. <laughs> that, that, nope, that was probably part of my computers. thought of OSS. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it attacked, it crippled the British healthcare system for a day. Germany, Germany's National Railway Service was hit. Uh, university networks in China were hit. Yeah. Yeah. In each case, a pop-up window demanded payments of $300 or about 2,000 yuan in order to free the files. So it just encrypts everything and then demands more. Right. They also said that it was um, it was particularly vir- virulent, virulent, virulent. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, and I believe cybersecurity experts in a second story I have here they said that the attack was based on some NS like an NSA exploit that was leaked. Okay. And Rob, I wanted to read this passage specifically to you. <laughs> The ransomware's rapid spread suggests that many organizations have been slow to update their systems to newer versions of Microsoft's Microsoft's Windows operating system Mm -hmm. that addresses the bug, which likely aided the worm's movement. Yeah, so uh, this was, I think, only exploitable through Windows XP, if I understand. Maybe Windows 7, but anything that was was patched with critical updates was uh, was fine. And I read a tweet this morning. Uh, I follow a few people work with Windows 10 and like they have the um the developers previews and stuff where they're constantly pushing out new builds like every other day and as soon as this came up they were like yeah windows 10 devices are not affected so if you are on the latest operating system you're completely fine it's it's all much older ones now what if what if an organization wanted to cling to 20 year old technology what then they certainly could but then they're going to be affected by bugs because you can't you can't predict what's going to happen in the future with old software you don't say hmm. well it's not so, only being predicted but they don't support patching of it anymore once it's been deprecated right so it's it's sort of like um a flu season goes by and you don't get vaccinated and then after five more years of not getting vaccinated suddenly you get you could get hit theoretically by a five-year-old or 10-year-old flu virus and you have not you have not got the biological patches to your immune system that would recognize that and stop it is that really the same though it's a decent analogy i would say it's not perfect i i (laughs) i don't think that like a 10-year-old flu is quite accurate but i think it would be fair to say if you didn't get the flu shot you didn't get the latest security updates sorry i guess you could accept you could expect to get hit harder by the flu yeah I think this is this is more like say you have a fifty year old car, and they come up with new seatbelt technology. Okay. Yeah. And then they say, okay, we're only going to apply this old seatbelt, this new seatbelt technology cars from the seventies and later newer. Yeah. Right. Because they they consider anything prior to that to be too old to support, and you get into an accident that would have that you would have survived had you had the newer seatbelts, mm-hmm. but because you had the older car that didn't get the newest type of seatbelt, then you were screwed. Yeah. So it's not that because the 70s cars had the newer seatbelts already installed. It's just once that newer seatbelt came out, they were upgraded. Right. Again, it depends what type of vulnerability was was hit with this. But my my understanding of how um, when Microsoft officially terminates support for an operating system mm-hmm. or, or a program or whatever, it's that they're not going to keep applying security updates or looking for security holes in those software. Right. Right. Huh. It's like <laughs> I need to get my pertussis booster because if you haven't had it for 10 years, it doesn't work anymore. 
I still like my analogy. Sorry, I just wanted to jump in with that and make everyone laugh. <laughs> I like my analogy, although it would require just it. The only reason I think that doesn't work perfectly is because the flu virus mutates very quickly. But I'm imagining a dormant flu virus that has unaltered from 10 years ago. If you never got a vaccine for it, your immune system would never have learned about its effects and protected itself. And so you yeah. could theoretically still be vulnerable to that yeah. 10-year-old flu virus. No, I think it's valid. I think, I think it's perfectly valid. I think that's only part of the picture, though. Mm, I think sure. the other part is that that you, you apply new updates to older versions if they're still supported. Right. Right? So what I'm hearing is that we should all be using Ubuntu. Well, so uh, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack in this story, but one of the things is that apparently the Linux kernel has a lot of vulnerabilities that are like every year they're they're moving higher and higher in the list of vulnerabilities as Linux systems like consumers don't usually use them a lot but servers like ex- almost exclusively use Linux based systems yeah and so that's becoming a viable method of attacking people is just taking their servers hostage or, or bringing mm. them down and so there are a lot of vulnerabilities in the Linux in Linux kernels Ubuntu kernels and other um packages but it's you don't really hear about it because it's like server server administrators and that that are dealing with it and they just quietly deal with it and make it go away right with this malware is it the kind of thing where it gets triggered or downloaded from like an email attachment or you go to a link and get asked to download something like this article didn't seem to have any indication of what the patient zero method was for it um, to spread like obviously once it's on a network it can spread itself willy-nilly but in the second link it says while many ransomware infections require a victim to open an email attachment or click a link friday's attack is notable for its worm-like ability to spread in other words its ability to copy itself between vulnerable machines without user intervention mm. but it, still it, needs it to... doesn't address patient zero but yeah like it still needs to be on an original machine on a given network well they probably put it on a network or on a computer that was on the internet like, I even think you could do it in such a myriad of ways. Like, I, I think I remember hearing a story about how someone wanted to infect a computer that wasn't attached to the internet. Yeah. Or they wanted to infect a network that wasn't attached. Yeah. So what someone did is they just left a USB stick, like a an infected USB stick mm-hmm. around. And sure enough, someone picked it up and plugged it into their computer. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I heard I heard about that too. It was like a university campus or like a security, uh, secure government building or something. And they just spread free USBs laying right. around the campus of whatever organization. And yeah, it, it got in. <laughs> the, uh, the I think the most interesting part of this for me, this, this ransomware thing is how it was stopped. Like for the time being, unless if you're already infected, it's too late. But did you, Nick, did you read anything into how it was stopped? I don't know that it has been stopped. They think that there could be a bunch of new infections come Monday. In theory, but they, I don't know. I don't know exactly when that CBC article was published. I think it was today. Um, theoretically, there could be, but the existing system, the, the one that attacked the NHS and all that, was stopped because the programmers of the worm or whatever they call it, did like they put they built in a kill switch and it involved trying to contact a a domain on the internet and if it if it couldn't contact that domain if the domain wasn't working then it would propagate and if it checked and it found that domain then it would just stop functioning 
And so any oh. new system that that was infected with the malware after this domain was registered by this security worker that was going through the source code of the, the worm, um, it now, the kill switch has been activated because he went and bought this random domain. Like it's just a random string of characters. And mm. he registered the domain and set it up so that it would stop the malware, which I thought was really like an interesting kill switch. And also if you set up a, like it's literally a random string of characters as a domain that it goes and checks. Why wouldn't this, the malware people have registered the domain? Why like that? That seems like the worst possible, like everyone in marketing knows you're supposed to, if you're doing something on the internet, you're supposed to register the domain name. Why wouldn't they have registered this one? Terrible. Why? Such lazy hackers. Yeah. I, I don't get it. it. It reminds me of the like Bobby drop tables mm. thing. Huh. It's, it's probably similar to that where it reads it in and then triggers something within the program or the, the malware that terminates right. it. In this case, I would almost say there's a, this it was a bug in the ransomware because like it, that it wasn't expected to be exploited in that way. They, the security researcher said he, he went and registered the domain because it was there in the source code, but he didn't know at the time that it would actually deactivate the worm. And so he he was he's quoted as saying, like, at the time of this discovery, it was completely accidental that it was going to stop this. And it was just ha- he happened to come across this domain string, register it and kill the worm. But what was the context of it being in the code in the first place? That's kind of weird if it wasn't expected to have killed the malware. Well, it was... Like I, I mentioned, I'm not sure if you were actually here because you got up and left for a sec. Um, but he he was going through the source code and part of the the way it transmits itself is once it gets onto a new computer, it goes and checks this URL. And if it's reg- if it exists, like if it can hit, if it hits like, I guess a 200 code, um, then it cuts it off. Like I'm not, I'm not sure the exact details, but like if it, if it mm. gets a certain HTTP code response from that website, from that domain string, then it will cut itself off. It's like a kill. Uh, it activated a remote kill switch by him registering and setting up that domain. But he did it just on a whim. Like, oh, I see this. Goes and checks whatever domain registrar and sees mm. that it's available for purchase. He said he like he spent ten dollars <laughs> on it and it killed right. the ransomware. So it's it, not to say that it couldn't like they could they could rebuild the source code tomorrow and use a different domain string and start it all back up again because not everyone's going to be patched again all the people that weren't patched are still not going to be patched but it would be just as easy to stop unless they already registered that domain the new domain but at that point i feel like the domain registrar would be able to step in and be like okay we're deactivating this domain or like we're taking it away from them um i'm sure there's some kind of security built into that that if someone starts like ddosing from a specific domain that the um ican the international i guess probably coalition of networking that provides domain names they would probably have the the authority to shut it down if they were doing that right i wonder like with ransomware in general like the idea being you lock your files or your computer in order to get money from someone like why wouldn't the people holding it ransom just not release the files after getting the payment yes (laughs) like you've already broken the law like you've already got your money like why would you i think uh, some of them don't they just get right. as much money as you'll transfer to them, they'll take. Right. It seems like it would almost be a lot more work to code in, okay, you gave us the money, here's your system back, and not just immediately right. like either reinfect it or just be like up the ante more. I guess the other aspect is if you condition people to 
pay money to be okay paying money when their stuff is held ransom because they know that it'll be unlocked. Right. Then you can just do it again in the yeah, future. Yeah. So that's another aspect, mm-hmm. I guess. So, uh, yeah, we'll see, Nick. The, the article in CBC does mention that uh, it could theoretically keep getting worse. Like there could be a new um, group of computers that get taken over as of Monday. But from what I heard from from this article in The Guardian, which I'll put a link to, um, it seems like it's for now it stopped spreading. No, that's good. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, we got into a bit of a debate this week, and uh, there were a couple things that precipitated this, but uh, mostly having to do with smart hold things. On, hold on. Users or uh, listeners, I can confirm there was a debate. Yeah. Because I believe I was at work or I was doing something, <laughs> and my phone would just not stop buzzing. Yeah. That's when just, you mute it, Slack. It, it was a debate. I can confirm this. Yeah. Nick, I thought you were muted in Slack, or you had slack muted i it was such that it was such that i couldn't get to my phone right at that moment right because like my actual hands were busy and my pocket just Mm, my pocket was lit my pocket was off the hook (laughs) no i mean like don't you just have it set to not notify you of new messages or uh it depends on the channel oh we were slowly learning which channels nick has muted using other ones (laughs) (laughs) Um, so this, this was started by the discussion about Amazon's new products, the Amazon Echo Look and Echo Show. Mm. They are iterations on the original Echo product, but now include an element of having a camera. Yes. And a screen on one of them. And a screen. Yeah. So the show has a screen. The look does not. Right. From my understanding. But they both have cameras. But they both have cameras. Uh, they're intended for different use cases i guess um the look is apparently being marketed as some sort of like fashion focused device of yeah. some sort the show being more of a multi-use uh interface for either tv or weather information or like live chatting type thing yeah. well it's like, it's like an internet connected communications device yeah it's like it's basically an ipad with good speakers kind of big speak like bigger speakers like the yeah the size of the speaker with, dictates how good it can be and the ipad super thin yeah. and with with better mics and that kind of yeah. thing and and the screen on the the echo show isn't intended to be used like an ipad with multiple apps right. it's like just to connect to a video feed or p- possibly like amazon media content display the weather um, that kind of thing to, yeah weather info time all that kind of stuff yeah. right so like timers so so it's, it's kind of they probably envision it being used in like a kitchen yep, or just in a living space where you might want just general information displayed like that with the odd case of talking to someone else. Like if you're cooking and someone calls you or wants to just chat with you, then you can put them on that, that device. So at the end of the day, these are basically just better or more uh, useful smart devices that are connected to the internet that you can talk to that show and reply back in audio with information that you're looking for. Now, I am excited. Maybe excited <laughs> is a bit hyperbolic, <laughs> but I'm I'm interested to see where else this goes because this is a good iteration on the Echo and Rob does not think it is. I never and said I didn't think it was a good iteration on the Echo, just to be clear. I think it's a fine iteration on the Echo. I just don't care about any of it. Okay, so... 
let, let's let's talk about that because I think this this matters. Maybe not this standing on its own in its current mm-hmm. form, but I think this is a good level of progress and is is working towards something that will ultimately get you excited, right. Bob. Um, and and maybe and I like I said before, I think we agree more than the initial discussion would lead you someone to believe. Um, but in in my opinion, when it comes to technology and just smart or AI devices in general, you need to kind of let it have its baby steps and its minor non-impressive iterations before it kind of makes the leap to something actually impressive. Because mm-hmm. um, I think you used the, fir- the term something about like, oh, well-programmed or something about programming, right? Like that these, that these machines, they're smart in the sense of they're able to be designed to respond to commands and requests that the designer expects it to get. Yes. But once you kind of start throwing stuff at it that it's not really designed for, then that's where it, it stumbles. I think that that is pretty much the limit of AI at this point. Okay. At least as far as like commercial products are concerned, like who knows what's being tested right now or, or designed like a people throw around the term machine learning all the time. And, and I'm sure there's actual machine learning being done and maybe even be done already in the background with things like Google maps or, or that kind of thing. But at least as far as commercial products go with, with smart devices, all you can really expect it to do is to be well-programmed and able to respond to things that are said in the right way and asking for the right things. Mm-hmm. But if those if those are things that you'd be asking it anyway, then you shouldn't really care. Like, it, it really doesn't make a difference. Like, they talked about this on ATP last week um, about how... And I think they were actually talking about the Echo logo yeah, in the were. show or whatever. And how, like, both Marco and John were impressed at how often it does get it right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, like they might, the people designing this product might just expect them to be asking those types of things, and they program that in. But if that's the case, like that's fine. That's all you need anyway, right? At least, at least for the purposes of a commercial product like this. When you start getting into things like the Tesla, mm-hmm. you'd want it to be a bit more robust than just being well programmed, right? You yes. want it to be aware, as 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 aware as AI can be. Yep. But this, these kinds of things, like you don't really need it to. Yeah. Like so the the problem that I have with the Echo isn't really a problem with it as it stands. I think that it's a fine device for what it is. I just think that it is for a very narrow set of things. Like all all it really is is IFTTT hooked up to your voice as opposed to going into IFTTT or having trigger set up. It will just do commands that you enter vocally and that that's mm-hmm. that's fine like i don't i don't have any other smart things that it could control so all i would be doing is doing other like all i would be doing is controlling web services whether it's bringing up a video whether it's getting facts information that kind of thing that's all i would actually be using it for and so to me the echo doesn't really hold me appeal because i already have a thing that can do that on my wrist and in my pocket or like somewhere near me all the time and the Echo Show just seems to me like it's unappealing for the same reason that a 80s corded phone is unappealing. I well, or a modern corded phone, if those ever exist at all. 
it's like it's no more useful to me than something that I can only use in one spot. Like it's the same reason I don't like watching TV because it's rooted in one spot. And the whole benefit to me of having more modern devices is that you can use them anywhere. Like I I love the ability to like I always watch video on my iPad all the time. If I happen to be sitting on my TV, I'll open up the YouTube app on my iPad and then cast it to the TV. But if I want to get up and go make a meal or go upstairs or any anything else I want to do, that's not going to, it can't come with me. It, it can only come with me if it's on a portable thing. And so the concept of having these things that don't move, they're sitting in one spot, they're fine, but they're still just very rigid, like you said, programmed devices. And the other thing that that like none of these assistants can do yet that would be really appealing to me is normally you want to it would be like it's the difference between having a thing that is that like a know-it-all person at your dinner table or at a bar at a table in a trivia night or something and you can have it come up with information you can say uh I don't know what's a good example, like who scored the most goals of all time in the NHL? Like who's the all-time goal scoring leader? And, but you have to, you can't just be having that conversation and like, oh, I wonder who that is. Hey, uh, voice device, who is it? And they won't be able to, they won't be able to tell you anything because it wasn't paying attention. And I don't think we're necessarily truly going to get to intelligence unless the devices have context for what we were talking about already before requesting that information. So the only way it's really useful is if you're willing to re-explain the context of the thing, like in your instructions, or if you're alone and you've only you only ever have to produce that information for other people or for other objects twice. Like you only have to ever produce it once if you're alone, but if you're if you're talking with people, you have to produce it a second time in order to ask the question. Well, you would if someone if the know-it-all NHL fan wasn't paying attention. Well, exactly. So explain it anyway. The equivalent right? would be they show up. And you're like, oh, hey, know-it-all guy. We were just wondering who is the most... Like, you'd have to re-explain right. it. So it's, it, that's what it's like having the internet connected, but it's not it's not getting any context. And so all these devices, all these AI, like very ai light devices can do is provide information based on very rigid context. And so when I was making the comparison between the Echo and Google Home, which you said was an unfair comparison, I guess like on a technicality, I, I'm definitely going to compare them basically one-to-one. Is that I, I'm not saying that it's an unfair comparison. I'm saying that you that the echo again, based on feedback mm-hmm. from people that own one or both, seems to be the superior product based on its ability to recognize voice commands, respond to them, and play the audio. Like right. from a from a hardware basis, right? The the home appears to be better connected and better versatile than mm-hmm. the echo. Yeah. But and again, I guess it depends what you value more, like the hooks into the Google. And obviously in that case, then Google Homes for you. But if you want just a better experience using it, it seems like the Echo is the way to go. Well, and again, so the power of the Echo is in its connections with other families of products or other services. Well, just its, its audio quality and its mic setup just, again, appears to be subjectively better. The, the Home just came out, though. Like, it's only, it hasn't been on the market for a super long time, whereas the Echo has been around for a couple of years and they've been getting better. I don't, I don't think there's anybody saying that, oh, the Google Home is really good, but it doesn't understand me very well. That's not 
the issue that people have with it. The issue is that it's limited in comparison to the Echo. The issue is that it's not connected to any, as many third-party services. Okay. But it's connected to its own. It's connected, yeah. You can get, yeah. it's got the Google Knowledge Graph tied into it. And that that has been a problem and a really good, like it's really powerful, but it also lets Burger King hijack it for a commercial. I don't know if you guys saw that at all. Oh, yeah, I think I did hear about that. A, that. That's not, not the first time this happened, though. Like, that happened with the Xbox before, too. Well, <laughs> when it turned on everyone's Xboxes, that like that one commercial. Right, and then there was, like, when, people would say, oh, like, turn off my Xbox, and then it would just shut off. Well, no, I think it was that, the other way around. It, it would no, turn on the Xbox. Th- there were absolutely issues, like, you can go Google it? it now, where people like, okay. would be in a game, like, they're playing a game. And someone in there in the voice, like in the voice feature, whatever they're talking, would yell, turn off my Xbox and it would just shut off. Like you could okay. you could remotely kill the Xboxes that people right. you were playing with or against oh, okay. while you're playing Xbox. And so, yeah, the Burger King came up with a, they had a commercial where they were just like, OK, Google, tell me about the Whopper. And then they started like I just activated anyone who has that hooked up and is playing this through a speaker. But um, they shut it off because it what the knowledge graph linked to was on Wikipedia, the entry about the Whopper. And people started editing the Whopper entry on Wikipedia to say like horrible things. And uh, so then the Google Home started spewing those things. Like it's it's all very easily exploitable. But right. it, that's kind of the, the problem is it's not intelligent. It is just it's just a speech to text parser that then feeds what things into whatever either the echo or the. Google Home has been programmed to do, mm-hmm. and there's no context. So, I was I was thinking this morning because I I don't know this comes back to like the limits of AI and what we can do with it. But if I feel like we're not going to get any better than that, like we'll get that thing better, but I don't think we'll make the leap to pure pseudo conscious AI. Well, so- I'd like to think we could, but I I don't I don't see how you could do that just when it's relying on like literal logic boards like that's what machines are is a system of logic boards so there needs to be some sort of like complex but logic it's just happening. the scale it's the st- scale of the actual transistors and the scale of the connections between them that's the only difference between uh, the human brain and a computer right now have you heard that have you seen the analogy to no that that's why that's what i'm saying though is that the human brain when we have a thought process mm-hmm. It's a bunch of like logic boards yeah. triggering, right? Yeah. Just very, very fast and in complex ways. Yeah. But can you replicate that in a machine? Like Yes. But and but you still have to pre program everything. No, because we didn't have to pre program our own brains. Because we're people. We're not machines. With machines, they like again by definition, they need some sort of instructions on how to behave. So you can you can implement complex programming that is quote you know potentially indistinguishable from thought or consciousness but it's ultimately still just a well-programmed machine i would argue that there's not a lot of difference between those two that i'm saying i'm it may be indistinguishable but if you're looking for something that's like purely conscious and not relying on being well programmed then the only the only limit is just how well we can program it and how robustly and how you know how many nested if statements we have but that basically comes down to a semantic argument like if we can't tell the difference how like i think that we are just like consciousness is an illusion that's what i started out saying is if if all we need is them to anticipate what we're going to ask it and have like a google search verbalized back to us 
and that's as good as we need, then why do we care? But I would argue that that's like consciousness is an illusion. I don't think there's any special thing that makes a certain like once you get over a certain threshold that you suddenly magically become conscious. I think that we are just buckets of if statements all executing in really fast sequence in parallel. Right. But there's a lot more variables involved when it comes to, you know, if you're hungry, then your decision making process is going to be different than if you're not hungry. Right. Or if you're if you're hurt or just your feelings affect your decisions and machines are not susceptible to that. You could say, oh, if you're, if the, if the CPU temperature is 35 degrees and it will make worse decisions, like that'd be ridiculous. It does. Next week on future chat, we'll explain how people are programming in Maslow's hierarchy of needs (laughs) into AI. Yeah. If, if like, I would argue it's not a whole lot different. Someone getting hangry versus a computer going into low power mode because its battery is running out. It's not it's fundamentally not that different. I realize but that's not going to affect the computer's decision making process. It's just going to mean it's not going to work. No, it would mean that it would run lower power and it would make different decisions based on the fact that it had lower energy. Rob, you're reaching. I don't think that I am. I think that the scale is different. The complexity scale is different, but I don't think fundamentally it's a different way that the systems work. And again, so that may just be a fundamental disagreement between us. Have you have you seen? There's an analogy. There's an, uh, an animation I've seen where they talk about. Um, they, I think they use the analogy of a pool being the, like a, the volume of a pool being the number of calculations the human brain is capable of doing in a per second, and like filling the pool slowly with computational advances. I'll try to find the GIF of it, but basically they they compare okay. the number of um, floating point operations per second that a computer can do with the number of those similar computations that a human brain can do. And the pool is filling super, super slowly right now. Like we're at a fraction of a, like a tiny, tiny fraction of a percentage of the capacity of a human brain and even our supercomputers. But it's orders of magnitude that the computer can advance super, super quickly so that by the time it gets to our level of intelligence, our level of decisions made per second, for instance, as, a, as an analogy, it's going to blow past us. Within five seconds later, it's going to have more than the capacity of the entire like human brain, collective human brain power, mm-hmm. just because it's, it's accelerating at such an immense rate. Did we all watch Ex Machina? I have not seen it, but I was thinking the yes. movie I was thinking of was her at the end. Okay. Same. I'm same sorry. Idea. The answer is no. Yeah. I've watched it, but the answer to your question was no. <laughs> okay. So, like that's that's basically what we're talking yeah. about is when you design an Android, and to what extent can you make it appear human? Right. Like, what's that limit? Yeah. And I I still think it comes down to emotion and being able to express and integrate that into the decision making process. Mm-hmm. Like in Ex Machina, like they. The androids, they manipulated people yeah. in order to get what they want, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they, they use their knowledge of how people behave and make decisions and use that to their advantage, yeah. right? Um, I don't, I haven't watched her, but it's, I'm sure it's a similar concept. A similar concept without any physical form. Right. It's just like a so, voice assistant type of thing. Right. With a, but it's, yeah, a UI kind of. Right. Um, but yeah, anyway, co- coming back to these these Amazon products, like I think it's a necessary step on the way to the you know ultimate thing we end up with, whether that's you know an indistinguishable AI that 
may as well be a person or whatever limit it happens to be. Right. But that, that that's why I'm glad that these types of products exist because that's a natural next step, right? Like you have, you know, speakers in a can and then you turn that into speakers plus camera in a can, mm-hmm. right? Like that's next is going to be speakers and camera and a thing that looks like a person. And then that can move. There's like no, person, there's right? no middle ground there. It's well, like the immediate jump from Echo Show. To okay, fine. Andrew. Next will be like a dog or something, and that can move around like a dog and has speakers and a camera. You've seen right? Boston Dynamics work, right? Well, maybe I don't. Not familiar. The dog with that. robot that can like run faster than a human. No, you. I'm sure you've seen it. Probably not. That doesn't at all sound familiar. Oh my gosh! All right. Well, what I want to do right now, because we're running short on time, I want to get to Nick's story here we're going to skip over what happened at build because this this ai conversation is fascinating and well worth having but um maybe we can talk once uh either next week or whatever um about the things that happened to build because there's stuff worth talking about but nick i want to get to um your botany corner because i know you love botany and i'm i'm curious to hear i i know you're passionate you flatter me Mm. So there are a wide variety of plants which bloom only once every so often. Are you familiar? Are you familiar with any of them? Yes, I saw one in. Wasn't it like on Meet the Fockers that, or Meet the Parents? I don't remember. I think it was Meet the Parents that there's like some plant that was supposed to bloom every. Ho- oh no! There was a, it was a flower that like an orchid or something, wasn't it? That was Dennis the Menace. That wasn't Meet the Parents. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like there was something okay. like that. Yeah, it was. It was Dennis the Menace. I think. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was some yeah, some orchid that blew up, and he missed it, and it was oh. upsetting for the character. And those of you following my Snapchat will remember there's remember seeing pictures of the corpse flower. Yeah, which I think there's one in New York that took like sixty years between blooms. But whatever they're doing in Edmonton is really working because it's blooming currently. It's blooming exactly every other year, which is like a, an unprecedented pace so far as i've heard okay regarding corpse flowers mm-hmm. but um they have one it's the colloquial name is a sheep eating plant at the royal botanical gardens between i think hamilton and brantford it is bur- bloomed for the first time in 31 years wow and like the blooms yeah they're okay something you're waiting like 31 years for i'd want a little more out of them i think if i'm being honest <laughs> sure but what i thought was really really interesting is the nature of the plant itself it's called the sheep eating plant and it looks are you guys familiar with like a lot of arid plants the blood arid plants like plants that are well adapted to arid environments like cacti ish like more like aloe or agave okay it looks a lot like that, like its actual spikes that it has. And it's called the sheep eating plant because although there's no documented like examples of it, they say that the it's so sharp and sticky that it will actually catch sheep and they just die there. Huh. But the idea being that it kills them and then they die, they rot, and they fertilize the ground, which further feeds the plant. Mm-hmm. And the the flowers will actually attract birds. The birds come in, they pollinate the flower, and then as they try to leave, it catches them and they die, and then they fertilize the ground. Huh. 
but so that doesn't make it a carnivorous plant because it's not directly extracting nucle- n- nucleants, <laughs> nutrients yeah. from the animal, but they've described it as being a proto-carnivorous plant huh. so because it yeah. encourages animals to die around the plant, thus feeding the plant. Right. I thought that was particularly it, It's not that different from just a carnivorous, the way carnivorous plants work. They just happen to kill the plant, kill the animal or whatever it is inside. Yeah, but like... I think carnivorous plants tend to work, tend to live in really like nutrient poor soil. Okay. And they can get away with it because they actually eat things and provide the, provide their own nutrients. Right. It it almost sounds like a defense against cannibalism. It's like you're in court and it's like, Your Honor, I did not eat this person. I simply killed it, ground <laughs> it up into a milkshake, and then drank it. That that's that's not at all the same. That's that's I a mean, tough analogy. <laughs> it, it's tricky for us because okay, we fine. don't like maybe eat it's like osmosis. Maybe it's like killing someone, grinding them up, using them as fertilizer for your carrot garden, and then, and then, then eating, eating carrots. carrots. Yeah, that would be closer. Yeah. yeah, still weird, but yeah, I think that's closer. I also like the the dramatic, like potentially deadly razor sharp spines. It's like deadly for small animals, right? Not and maybe for sheep people. The other thing that's interesting about these ones is when they bloom. I'm not sure because the corpse flower, it will only die if it's properly pollinated and it can't be pollinated because there's no other corpse flower in the area for it. Right. Because they have to bloom together to pollinate the flowers and get seeds because they have male and female flowers, Mm -hmm. male and female plants. But apparently this is one of the ones where it blooms and you need to pollinate it and get seeds because as soon as it blooms, it dies. Hmm, weird. Which a lot of things... Do. I think agave actually does that too. Like it spends all this time getting that rich syrupy core bigger and bigger and bigger until it shoots something up like 10 meters high or more, flowers, and then immediately dies. Right. It's a bit of a like depressing life cycle. No kidding. It spends its entire life saving up to bloom and then dies immediately after. I wonder what the evolutionary purpose for that would be. Yeah. I, don't I know. mean, we have a lot of annual plants here, but that kind of makes sense because there's a lot of pollinators and yeah. stuff like that around because they tend to be in places with something that would pollinate them. But I'm guessing in more arid regions, the pollinators are few th- further and fewer. And so you need to make a larger effort to attract them to you. Mm-hmm. Would it be like an automatic regenerative plant where like it dies, but then its seeds kind of like replant themselves, maybe? If it seeds. Oh, I guess it yeah, might not even seed in the first place. Yeah. It could spend its whole life saving up to flower and then not get anything done. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of plant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> guys i went down the rabbit hole and started googling videos of um boston or not yeah boston dynamics robots and how's that it's very it's very ex machina i must say oh nice but uh yeah i'm gonna i'll post a few links so nick are these these plants they're not necessarily rare or are they very rare there aren't a whole lot of them in canada because they're native to chile so i think you're only going to get them in conservatories and stuff like that up here I guess it wouldn't be worth if they only bloom 
once every 30 I, is it every 31 years i mean it depends on what you're well it, it depends on conditions yeah, right yeah that's like is that so that's ideal conditions or is it like it's bad conditions that it takes that long to... not necessarily okay like i i don't actually know hmm. let's check wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> yeah these things are so interesting once in a lifetime seems Plants. like too much because it's only 31 years it is not considered threatened okay I guess Chile, it's probably more common than just having like one or two plants at a conservatory. It says generally 20 years to 20 years or more to flower. Hmm. That's cool. So this picture, it's not, is it, is that the flowers? Like are those green things on top of the flowers? Uh, which picture are you looking at? Well, I guess the top one and then the closer view on the main one. That's like as as flowering so, as it gets is that these little the green flowers are not the spikes I think right. that's these little green flower looky things those are that's the bloom yeah there's a picture of the actual flower a little further yeah. down that's that's almost underwhelming like it almost just looks like leaves I know that they, there's like the right it's like wow you thirty one years eh <laughs> that's that's what you have to show for it huh cool <laughs> I mean lilies make stuff that look like that every year but good on you i don't know if you've ever seen a hellebore a helleborus they have kind of a similar thing where they flower in early spring i mean not here because they're not hardy enough to live here but they flower and they put out these big like pink flower looking things but the the pink flowers fade and then just become part of the foliage Mm. yeah very pretty if they live in your area yeah. and they don't live here. Although they have them at the Mood Art Conservatory. So hmm. now that I have my annual pass, I can go there. Right. Huh. All right. Well, there you go. Indeed. Do we have anything else to say this week? Did you call your moms? I have not called my moms. <laughs> Nick, have you called your moms? No. I've made plans to speak with mine, but later in the afternoon. That is one of the reasons that the show has a deadline. <laughs> I'm actually thinking, like, part of my plan today was go out to buy pots for, well, gardening endeavors. And it's just now occurring to me that I'm planning on going out to a gardening store on Mother's Day. Yep. And that might be a terrible, terrible idea. It could be. I'd say it will be. Yeah. I guess it depends how many, like, flower flowers they have. If only... If only people paid as much attention to gender stereotypes as Kai and I do. <laughs> Is probably not going to be as bad as Valentine's no, Day. No, I agree. Uh, at a garden center? Like, it's not a flower store. It's an actual gardening center. I guess. Yeah, that's true. You'll probably be okay either way, I would say. Eh. All right. Well, if that's all we have for this week... I will say thank you once again for listening to this week's episode of Future Chat. You can head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat for past episodes of the show and more. I'll see you next week. Ciao. Toodaloo. Oh, and we're not live. Post-show stretch. Did you see that YouTube link I posted? I did. That's the clip I was thinking of. Yeah. I didn't listen with sound, but... Nick, that's if you haven't seen it, that's that's the reference I was talking about. What's that? That YouTube link. Oh, okay. Is that the Boston thingy, Rob? There, the like you should go look at the Boston Dynamics channel. This is that one I just posted. I think is from MIT, but uh, it's the same <laughs> idea.
That looks nothing like a cheetah. What do you mean it looks nothing like a cheetah? It looks exactly like a cheetah. Have you ever seen a cheetah before? It looks just like it. That looks like a horrible robot. <laughs> Your standards are too high. Says the person not impressed with a smart camera box. Okay, so I've watched this clip, and I would be so pissed if I were Mr. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> like, how could you not just straight up murder Dennis? <laughs> Like, he waited how long for that flower? 40 years. 40 years. That's like the bulk of his life right there. Yeah. He is a menace. 